Blog Talk Radio. When I was a toddler, 
He goes on, my father was abusive physically and verbally. As a child, I hoped that abuse would stop, but of course, it never did. Children have a number of reactions to the abuse they endure, with many believing they themselves somehow are responsible for what happens. But it's never their fault. It's always the case that the adult in these situations uh, is guilty part is the guilty party. Philip adds, "It's hard to have a conversation with my father to to this day, which is not surprising." All of my memories with him are tragic and unforgiving. Nazca believes sharing one's story is a big part of a healing journey. I have been held in the psychiatric ward four times, and I believe it's in my path. I recently started going to therapy and talking about it to other people as well. Philip has been participating in our Stop Child Abuse Now shows for a few weeks now and is doing better and better, getting into participating in our Stop Child Abuse Now, and it's um, several Stop Child Abuse Now shows for a few weeks now, and is is being, and is doing better and better. Getting into action is what it's all about. I have had several jobs, Philip notes, and more important to myself, I enjoy volunteering. I have volunteered at a soup kitchen, two churches, and the meeting hall. Contact him at Philip underscore Bernal on Instagram. All right, y'all. Sorry, I missed my spot, and I went back up a line. Um, But, again, this is a very important topic. Um, I hope that Philip gets a chance to call in to kind of walk us through his story, okay? Everybody's story is, um, is different. And abuse comes in many different forms. Some people think that abuse is only sexual. Some people think that abuse is only physical. Some people think that abuse is only verbal. Some people think that abuse is only emotional and so forth and so on. But as we get educated, we realize the many different forms. So as uh, Philip was sharing his story about abuse, um, and he shared his truth as a child from a child's perspective, from his point of view, his heart, what he endured. And one of the things that we should never do is minimize someone's story. You know, again, abuse comes in different forms. Okay, Miss Kim, would you agree with that part? Oh yes. Absolutely, and we talked about yeah, and we talked about that before. But I think you're right. A lot of times, um, we get probably more sexual abuse stories than anything on this show. So, I mean, we're open to anybody. I mean, this is support all of abuse. So, mm-hmm. yeah, talk about all of, all the different forms for sure. But um, I'd like mm-hmm. Philip kind of put in his bio too. That well, first of all, I was going to say he's been with us for more like months or so. Has or even has it been a year? Maybe Philip has been on for a long time. It's been more than a. I just wanted to give him that <laughs> the shout out there that he's been on for a while. But um, 
I just I liked how he put the statistics in his kind of bio to just throwing it all out there, which we've talked about before too, all those statistics that it's usually somebody that's close to you and you know, or somebody who's close to the family. Yeah, but I think that it's also important, and I know that, excuse me, we talk about this as well in the past, but um, to understand that um, that they groom the adults as well. So when we're talking about, you know, the predators who are friends of the, friends of the, the parents, um, a lot of times, not all times, but a lot of times, especially if they have bad intentions, they go into that relationship with the adults hoping to get to the children. And um, so I think that's something that to be aware of as well. And I was just listening to something not too long ago this week, this past week, about, um, you know, mm-hmm. your instincts. Use your instincts. And we don't talk about that near enough. We should probably say it every single time that we're on the air because I that's something that we all will push down. We'll just say, oh, no, it can't be that. Or, you know, I know that I, I'm getting these weird feelings in my stomach, but he seems like a nice guy or she seems like a nice lady. And, um, you know, we need to pay attention to that little feeling that you get sometimes because I believe that God made that, you know, he made that fear in us for a reason and, um, you know, throughout the years and as we age, you know, as you get older, you you start to realize that um, we shouldn't be probably putting that fear into the children in that way, but they do need to be aware. We all just need to be aware, I guess, actually. <laughs> that's what we all just need to be aware. And that's what we do on here. Is that a way? Yeah. It's good that you said that because that instinct inside of us is our gut feeling, you know, also. It's, it's called many different things. But um, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times if you feel something inside that feels uncomfortable and unsafe, many times you should listen to that. Excuse me. Many times you should listen to that because <clears throat> that's your body giving you a warning that something's not right. So when you don't feel safe, you know, you shouldn't feel like, oh, maybe I'm overreacting. No, pay attention to it. Many times that feeling, that gut feeling, could save your life. And if you watch some of these shows um, and you hear people sharing their test, they'll like, okay, I'll share, for example, one of my girlfriends, I tried to get her to come on tonight, but she, she, she had prior plans. Recently was in a, and, and one of her friends was driving her car. She felt nauseous, so she was like, mm, let me just go to the other car with my other friends. And she let her her, uh, friend drive her car. And she got out of the car like a split-second decision. He got in a car accident, flipped the car over twice. She would have been dead. I mean, she showed me pictures of the car. Thank God she wasn't there. He, you know, could have been really, really, really injured. 
But a lot of times the drivers with the uh, airbags, with the airbags and everything like that, um, a lot of times the passengers are the ones that don't make it. And crazy enough, her purse was still in the car, her cell phone was still in the car. When the police showed up on the scene, they thought she was ejected from the car. Had she been in that car, she would have been severely injured. A split-second decision. It took. It was, it was a quick split-second decision caused her to get out of the vehicle. You can't even make it up. And so um, many times it's really important to listen to that gun instinct. Had she not listened to that gun, gun instinct, she probably wouldn't be here with us today. So when you get that feeling like, mm, this doesn't feel safe, mm, I don't feel comfortable, mm, I don't know if I could trust you, this person, just listen to that. It's okay. You can grow into trusting. You don't have to just trust or feel guilty because you don't trust or you don't feel safe. Okay? Take your time. Enough saying. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up because that was important. I'm over here having a yawn attack because I've been <laughs> waking up at 2 a.m. Sorry, y'all. So when I take a little break, it's like I'm yawning my life away, y'all. So thank you. Hey, this is reality over here <laughs> tonight. So um, I want to talk just, like, I've been getting up. I was in Boston this weekend working, and I started work at 2 a.m. And then I had to um, oh, get goodness. a flight the next day. Yep, I had to get on a flight the next day at 5 a.m., so I had to get up at 3.30 to get to the airport. So it's been, this has been a rough, long weekend for me, right? Yeah. I'm still yawning. So after after I get off this show, I'm going to relax. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I almost was so comfortable this evening. So I, when I saw your text, I was like, thank you, let me get on here. You uh, kind of <laughs> alerted me because I was too too relaxed. <laughs> so I wanted to um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the different forms of abuse. So they say that um, there are four different main types. Again, there's there's a ton of different forms of abuse, right? When you're talking about starvation, that still falls under neglect. But um, the four different main types of child abuse are physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, and sexual abuse, okay? So for physical abuse, we have physical abuse is the deliberate intention to inflict pain. When someone hears the term child abuse, they're most commonly associated with physical abuse. Wounds, bruises, burns, fractures, and sore muscles are signs of physical abuse. But abuse can also result from severe acts of discipline. Injuries that don't coincide with the explanation and untreated medical or dental needs are also red flags for physical abuse. So in the area of physical abuse, um, there are many different kinds of abuse that we just said, but in physical abuse, you know, discipline, you know, growing I used to get my behind Some of these kids, they don't get worse. We're in the era where uh, parents practicing gentle parenting. Sometimes I think it's great for certain kids, well-behaved, they're not finished, da 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 blah, blah, blah. Some kids, I'm like, mm, he is just a butt man. He's so disrespectful. Like, 
punching the mom in the face or doing all kinds of things that I've witnessed some of these kids do. They're very smart. But uh, one thing that we're learning more about is many of these kids are in the spectrum uh, and have uh, Down syndrome and other behavioral diagnosis. So as we're getting educated as a community, as a nation, we're learning that um, all children cannot be disciplined the same way. Um, I have four children. I whooped all my kids behind because that's the way I grew up. So, you know, this is something that's passed down generationally. Now, I used to get whooped more than they got whooped, but they still got it. Uh, with my three sons, whoopings work great to the point that even my older son says, mm-mm, that little kid, he's good there, but whooped when he sees a child misbehaving severely out of control. Whoopings didn't really work too much with my daughter as much because she held it against me in a different way, right? I mean, now today, um, she's, you know, come around a long way to the point that her focus is really trying to, um, show appreciation, right? But she's a mom now, and she also does not practice uh, whippings. She does a lot of talking. Uh, I respect you, you respect me, and a lot of compromising with her child. We're in a different era. Those things back in the days were not ways that um, that I I was not brought up that way. And so uh, culturally, also, I'm not from this country, so culturally, it's a shock for me sometimes when I see the behaviors not being reprimanded. Um, And so, again, we're in a different era. Uh, Do you have any comments about the physical abuse? What's your thought about today's day and age, how parents are raising their kids versus some of us, how we were raised and brought up? Under physical abuse? Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't know it was called physical abuse? <laughs> right. right. No, yeah, we were definitely, I was definitely abused in that physically as well. And, I mean, people just didn't, I don't think even CPS took it as seriously. You know, if I would have said my dad was kicking in the butt with his work shoes, you know, those big old work boots that have metal in the toe. Um, mm-hmm. They probably would have said something, you know, like, well, maybe you deserved it. But I'm, you're right. The whole thing mm-hmm. is so different than it is nowadays. And um, and I'm like, well, I, I started thinking my kids, and I remember – and my daughter, my oldest daughter, held it against me as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I, and I remember trying. I don't remember spanking my second child, my daughter, my second daughter, a whole lot. But she just, she was just kind of in her own world, and so she didn't really get into a whole lot of trouble or anything. She just kind of stayed to herself. But I remember trying to spank my son, my youngest, and he would just laugh at me. And so I, it didn't do any good to even try and spank him because I think it hurt me more than it hurt him. And um, <laughs> and so I had to give it up. It just wasn't working. So I had to try and find other things, like taking away his computer, you know, things that were more important. 
to him. But um, that still didn't always work. He was pretty stubborn. He was pretty strong-headed. <laughs> but um, I know I remember listening to, like, some of my friends, too, talk about how they would face their kids or, you know, pull them into their room by their hair. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and I didn't ever, I was never that. Kind of aggressive. Right. Um, but it gets frustrating. Yeah. I mean, when when you are in a rage, I mean, just coming from a coming from a parent standpoint, so just people who you know, listen mm-hmm. back to maybe your parents and and you get frustrated because they just will not listen to you or listen to you or do what you ask them to do. Um, it's easy to lose your temper and to kind of lose control a little bit. And I know that I did mm-hmm. that more so with my first daughter. And um, where I always tried to be more of a, I'd always try and calm down. And maybe that was where I had trouble with my son <laughs> is that I always tried to calm down first. And then by that point, he was just like, mm-hmm. you know, it just wouldn't even acknowledge that it was punishment he'd just laugh at me so um <laughs> that could have been the difference but no I was yeah physically emotionally and sexually abused you know growing up so it was just such a different such a different time and now I mean even my husband had kind of pushed our daughter one time our oldest daughter and when she was in high school, she she went to, well, she told her friend about it. And her friend went to the teacher and said that her dad was abusing her. So, I mean, it's so easy these days to get into trouble. Which is good. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in the cases oh, yeah. that really need to be looked at. You know, that is good. Yeah. Um you know, just be aware of younger, <laughs> younger parents that um, it's so much easier to get in trouble these days. And um, I think when I was growing up, I never wanted to be taken away. And I think that is also, you know, another good thing to talk about, I guess, a little bit is, is why kids don't report. And... And I know that we talk about this in the classes that I teach, too. It's it's not that – it's just that they want it stopped. Because usually, especially if it's in the home, if, if it's your, one of your parents, you know, you love that parent. All kids just want to love their parents and want their parents to love them. And so um, they just want it stopped. So they're not saying that they want to be taken away and they want their whole life to change because – especially as they get older, they realize that. And I think I was aware of that. I remember kind of being aware of that. Well, because my mom kind of, she would throw it at me. Watch what you say. or You guys could get taken away or whatever. And it was more of a scare tactic. But, and I think that was another, I don't know if you ever heard this when you were growing up, Dr. Nancy, but if, um, 
sometimes just if you were getting into trouble, they'd say, oh, well, we're going to call the police. I mean, it wasn't even something that the police would respond to. But that was used when I was a child, anyway, at times. Mm-hmm, to scare me. Listen to me or we're going to call the police. Well, police wouldn't have come because I wasn't listening to my child, my mom, you know. It's just, but as a child, you don't know any difference. All you know is what your parents tell you. So, yeah, the differences in, in how we talk to our children these days as well. You're right about that. Um, and I think also because... Uh, I'll say this, for the parents that are not abusing or thinking that it's abused when they discipline their kids, because some of these kids, they're so smart. Once they learn that the parent cannot discipline them, they use that against you, some of these children, and will kind of threaten you and manipulate you. And I'm only saying that because uh, some of the work that I do with the youth, I'm realizing, like, these kids are so smart. And they have their their parents in fear, like you know, like he called the police on me. He uh, almost got me locked up. Like the parents are saying stuff that I'm like, oh my god, this is like going on. But yeah, so it's kind of like um, some parents don't feel safe parenting because they're yeah. scared that they're gonna go to jail if they do this for their children. Then when these kids are completely out of control and nobody can control them pretty much, then, you know, it falls on the parents parenting. They're doing a poor job parenting, but, again, you're not allowed to really, really discipline your children. So it's a little little tough, I find it, when I hear some of these stories because you want the parents to discipline their kids and make sure that the kids are not out here stealing or shooting or, you know, killing, hurting other people. But then when you do try to discipline your children, you get in trouble for it. You're, like, not allowed to really discipline your children. So it's it's like finding that medium can be very difficult sometimes. Yeah, finding that medium can be very difficult. Um, at times because, you know, uh, we're we're living in a different day and age. And so um, I wanted to also talk about the next one, which was, you know, we talked about physical abuse, and now we're, I wanted to just read a little bit about emotional abuse. Behaviors towards the child that cause mental anguish are considered emotional abuse, also called psychological abuse. Examples of emotional abuse are shouting often at the child, withholding kindness or affection, extended periods of silence, doing, I guess that's the silent treatment, right, y'all, and uh, harsh jokes at the expense of the child, which we know some people can be very sarcastic and very offensive. And it could sometimes be about their weight, about their smell, about their the way they look, about their teeth, about anything, you know. Right. Calling the child names or making other demeaning remarks can be the term can be termed emotional abuse and usually result in low self esteem. So many times some of these words that we use, um, 
can give someone low self-esteem. I know that my older son, he gained a little weight, you know, he got a little girlfriend and boot up and, you know, and that's what happens. Even that happened to me. I gained some weight. You know, you're in a relationship and you're eating good and you, you know, you're not out with friends and you, you, you're kind of like home or kind of, and that happens. So I made sure, um, I was like, okay, how can I bring this up to his attention? Because I know obesity runs in our family. Okay, heavily from both sides, not just from my side. His father was 400 pounds at one point until he got that, uh, you know, uh, got some help from his doctor with that. And so I said, hey, you know, just make sure you, you know, do a little cardio workout on top of the weight that you got now because, you, you know, you'll be a nice, strong, you'd be like a beast if you build up on top of what you have. But I was trying to bring attention to the fact that don't go too far. How to work it out? <laughs> How do I bring it without being offensive? Because I'm being more conscious of my words. Whereas my mom, my mom would say something else. Um, now today, I think she would do better. Back in the day, she would say some something that probably would have offended me, right? But today, we're all in that learning phase, so we some of us try to do better. Um, I had gained weight. I always go up and down with my weight. When I had my children, I got big. I got skinny. I got big. I go up and down with my weight. That's been a lifelong battle for me personally. And I remember one time I had gained weight. And, you know, when you gain weight, you already know you gain weight. Like, my clothes doesn't fit me. I know I gain weight. I don't need you to tell me I gain weight. And there's this lady, you know, she just felt comfortable because, you know, I was nice to her. I was friendly with her. And she just felt way too comfortable. And from that point, I distanced myself. I don't argue with people. I just back up. That's how I handle stuff. And so um, she was like, you're getting And then she opened up both of her arms like outward. And I was so embarrassed. And I was like, girl, you don't know that I know I'm getting fat? Like, you don't know that I'm struggling with that emotionally, trying to figure out how to lose this weight because it's easy to put on the weight. Like the weight comes on, it's like the credit score. Your credit score goes down. If you mess up, 20 points. I've been making payments. All of a sudden I'm seeing one point, two points. I'm like, really? I just made a $100 payment. You guys were to give you a $300 payment. You will give me one point. But if you mess up one time, it will take 40 points in two seconds, okay? And that's how it is with weight. Many times it takes no time to put on the weight. And then when you're trying to lose weight, like I've been trying to lose weight now and I lost nine pounds, it took me forever to lose nine pounds. It was so easy for me to put on 35. So it's like, you know, but we have to find ways to have empathy, uh, to be empathetic, and to have tact. I think some people lack tact and empathy. And so they just say anything that comes to their brain without thinking, how would this affect you? If I, I would never say that to her. What she did to me, I would never do that to her. Um, and so I would never say, girl, mm, you getting, mm. that's what she said. She said, girl, you yeah. getting, mm. and she put both arms up and showed me like a blowfish. I was like, really? For real? That is so disrespectful. <laughs> Years ago. Yeah. 
But it's like, I wouldn't do that yeah. to someone. So it's like, why would you do that to me, yeah. you know? And so um, I think that is definitely uh, something that we have to um, uh, be careful with, um, those cruel, cruel jokes. Because they do result in, um, in in low self-esteem for the children, right? So now the last part says children who have been emotionally abused may suffer from depression or desperately seek affection. Now, we know that many kids who are bullied and teased and talked about and, and like, you know, bully. Bullying is a really, really, really huge issue in our community. And many people take their lives, you know, they, they, they kill themselves. So we have to be careful how we deal with people, you know. And then some people, like it just said right there, some people desperately seek attention. Some young girls become so promiscuous because they're looking for that attention. They're looking for that love that we could just give them by being nice. But because many people or some people lack in that area, it makes people just be like, you know, just tell me I'm beautiful. You don't have to wait till a man tells you you're beautiful. We we should be able to tell a young lady. I always tell people, oh, I love your hair. Oh, you're so pretty. I always try my best to encourage people. Why? Because I know growing up, I was told I was an ugly black girl with big lips, big forehead, big nose. I was ugly. And so growing up, I believed I was ugly. Now, men always told me I was beautiful. They thought I was sexy. They thought I was beautiful, and I had no issue in that department. But hearing, you know, the women tell me how ugly I was, I saw myself as a reflection as a woman. I believed that they were right that they told me I was these evil, awful things about myself. And men gave me wonderful attention. And so those are the things that these young girls, when we're talking to our at-risk youth, these are some of the issues that they're dealing with. And this is why um, they're dealing with, um, you know, fighting the spirit of uh, being promiscuous, okay? Um, And then other symptoms include social withdrawal and delayed or inappropriate emotional development. They don't know how to react. They don't know how to communicate, okay? Social withdrawal, I still do that. You offend me, I just move myself the other way. I get away. I get away from you because I'm consistently, it's been something that I've been doing my whole life. People are offensive, they're disrespectful, and some people do it on purpose. And then some people, they don't know that they're being offensive and disrespectful because they just in their own world. So to protect myself, I just remove myself. Like, okay, if I notice that you're being friendly and nice to her, but then when I'm around, you don't treat me the same way, I pick it up right away, two seconds, boom, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good, though, no worries. You know, so it's a protective mechanism, but... um. One of the things that we really have to be aware of is things that we may do can come across very offensive to other people, and it's a form of emotional abuse, not having tact. I know you've dealt with many different forms of abuse, so I know that, you know, I'm sure you're very aware and experienced in the area of psychological abuse. 
But again, it could be withholding kindness, withholding affection, um, the silent treatment, and harsh jokes. Have you experienced, you know, name calling, harsh jokes, or anything like that that affected your self-esteem growing up, or even as an adult that you can relate to? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. And even in my marriage, too. I mean, it's been like mm-hmm. I had somebody trying to explain it. Like, mm-hmm. Would you continuously, all you hear from some person is what you, you do wrong? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, and you don't ever get any positive feedback, because I'm sure a lot of people have heard. You know, for every, so like for every negative thing you say to somebody, you're supposed to say like seven to ten nice things to kind of make up for it. And mm-hmm. um, and when you don't get that ever, you know, it's just continuous, you know, cutting down and um, not listening and not, you know, paying attention, not ever standing up, you know, or even um, showing affection, then, yeah, that's, it's, well, I think that's what goes into what people call PTSD. I mean, it's a long-term, mm-hmm. um, a complex post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress disorder because it's happened for so long. And um, mm-hmm. actually, my I said to you the other day, and I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of known that for a while for me. <laughs> I'm like, I have, I've lived in such, like, fight or flight mode for so long that um, I think that there are times maybe I overreact <laughs> when I don't need to necessarily, but that also just comes from those years of not not being validated, not ever being heard or validated or understood or anything. So I definitely see how all of the different abuses have played a part into my life as well. And yeah, I I think I've, I've shared this before. I don't even know what, how I would communicate with my mom, right? You know, if she was still alive today as I was doing all of this other work because we didn't talk about any stuff like that. You know, just didn't talk about it. It was just... Right, right. But that's good oh, that you're right. sharing that because... Well, but it's good that you're sharing that because you know, people who are trying to walk in their recovery, they feel very alone in their recovery. They don't know. They're like, am I bipolar? Am I bugging? Am I tripping? No, that is part of recovery. That is part of recovery. You went through a severe level of trauma, and some of those things are going to show up. It doesn't mean you have a demon, and I'm only saying that part for people who are around, um, you know, like Christians and or spiritual people who may say, oh, if you're not, 
able to get away from the trauma, then you're not saved. You're not truly saved until you are the healed. Healing is a lifelong journey. You know, healing is a lifelong journey. Healing is not just a miracle. You snap your finger and you're healed. You know, the only time that's going to happen is if God does it. Like, now he comes in and he snaps his finger. But we have to be realistic. You know, God wants us um, to use our testimony to help other people through their um, transgressions, through their process, through their hard times. And we have to be real. And we have to say, hey, I, I still struggle in that area. I'm not perfect. That's the area I'm still working through. And that empowers someone else as they're in their recovery process, you know. And so I think it's just very important for us to be able to talk about the struggles that come with recovery, you know, and not make it look like, oh, please, recovery is so easy, and if you can't recover, then something's wrong with you. No, the truth of the matter is recovery is a battle. It's a fight. And, you know, and it's okay. I mean, as long as you're trying, take one day at a time. And I think the more we educate ourselves in the area of recovery, the more we're able to help others recover and help ourselves to recover. Because it's like, okay, you know, this is normal. I'm not crazy. This is part of the recovery. And and that helps to encourage people to recover. Um. I wanted to read the next part, which was neglect, uh, which we talk a lot about here in NASCA. It says parents or caregivers who are continually unavailable for the child are considered neglectful, even if the parent is physically present but unable, but unavailable or refuses to care for the child or meet his or her needs. Neglect occurs. Imagine a child left at home alone for an extended period of time with no food in the house and an infant sibling to care for. This would be an example of child neglect. The parent may have a substance abuse problem, and we know that because some parents are dealing with drugs, they're laying up in the bed, the the kids are in the next room, the kids are seeing stuff, some parents are prostituting their children, unfortunately because they're on these drugs, okay? Some parents are dealing with mental illness. Some parents are really sick. They're mentally ill and they cannot make rational choices or they um, uh, or be too consumed with a job or another person to properly care for the child. So some people are dealing with jobs. They're single parents and unfortunately um, have to be working all the time. Okay, and some parents are in love with a man or in love with a woman and neglect to feed their children because they're chasing after love and trying to um, to live and be young and experience uh, love. And, and so, you know, um, warning signs for neglect include poor growth, weight loss or weight gain, poor hygiene, lack of appropriate clothing or supplies to meet their, need, their needs stuffing themselves at one meal and hiding food for later. You know, a lot of, we've had people come on the show here in NASCAR and share the testimony how they were starved and they hid food or they stole food because they were hungry children. 
Uh, it's sad to hear, but this is the truth. This is what people are dealing with. Uh, some people are stealing food, and some people are stealing money, okay? Neglect is the most common type of child abuse. That's one of the most common types of child abuse. Some, some people have their children at a young age, and they're trying to live their lives. They're trying to live their lives. And this becomes, you know, this comes at the expense of the children. You try to live your life because you weren't able to live your life. And then the child is being neglected. Have you, I know, and again, I know I've experienced a lot of neglect in my lifetime. And I think the more we get educated, the more we realize, like, wow, that's a, that's that's a, that's in the category of neglect. Well, I went through that. You know, are you able to? Um, and again, that could be weight gain, weight loss, lack of appropriate clothing, supplies that you need for school, or whatever. You know, um, feeling like you have to steal because you never have. You know, um, being home alone all the time. You know, my mom she worked nights because she was a single parent. And then you have some people who are dealing with substance abuse problems or mental illness or they're at work all the time. Those are all forms of abuse, you know. Have you, are you able to um, connect to any of those or have you experienced any of that as well? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think I talked a little bit about at one point, maybe when I told my story, that I remember my my little brother kind of being my real-life baby doll. I mean, I just did everything for him. Mm-hmm. And because he was, you know, he was younger, and he couldn't do things for himself. And, and I remember now looking back as I got older, thinking, you know, that's probably not normally what a three- or four-year-old would be doing. Because my brother was, I mean, he was still little enough that I was carrying him around. Maybe he was walking. I don't know. Maybe he was a year old. But he couldn't have been too much more than that, still in diapers and everything. But um, just change, you know, I was always changing his diapers. I know that I... I like to stock up on food. I'm very, you know, I, I, it stresses me out if I don't have a backup of something. <laughs> I need to have a backup. And um, and I think a lot of that comes mm-hmm. from also, you know, not having a lot of money as a child and then not really having those um, really even the parents want able to, my parents weren't able to um, adequately take care of me because they chose other things to do on the weekends. And um, and so I remember that, even as a young child, like I said, three or four years old, I remember those instances. And so I, I'm sure that that played a, a key part into, like I said, wanting to always have backup of food and toiletries and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it, it just makes me feel a lot better if I do 
and it came in handy when the pandemic hit too. <laughs> it's the backup stuff. Interesting that you say that. Um, because I realized that today, if I go somewhere and there's doggy bags, I'm like making the biggest, saddest place. That comes from being hungry when I was younger. Being hungry, being, you know, my mom was a maid and we were homeless at one point. And so being able to get access to food, even though people think that's funny, um, it's a, it was it's, it's engraved in my spirit where I still feel that lack of, and I will make sure. And and again, I have a big family, so obviously, you know, um, with the cost of living and everything going up, it's always like, oh God, help us! I see those numbers, but also um, from growing up with the lack of, always trying to make sure that I can catch up. I still struggle with that. I know I've gone to events where I'm like, mm, where are the doggy bags? Let's grab these up. Let me make sure I grab my plate right now. That and people are probably like, uh-uh, she is so classless. <laughs> She's at this fancy event. Look at the to-go plates. But it's just something that I still struggle with. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, you know, you, you wouldn't relate to that and you wouldn't understand where the root of that comes from. You're too busy looking at the, you know, the fact that you don't have those as an issue, so you can't relate, and you're looking down at me, but you don't understand the root of where that came from. So just like you said, um, making sure that, you know, we're not uh, trying to be hoarding on food, but making sure that that need is met, because it, at one point it was not met. That's that's hard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, you know, like you get married and they look at you like you're absolutely out of your mind because why are you buying more food when there's a ton downstairs, you know? They don't mm-hmm. understand that. And if you're married to somebody who doesn't, who wasn't necessarily abused in that way, then they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the last... Um... The last form of one of the the last form of one of the most common forms of abuse is sexual abuse, which we talk about on the show very often here in NASCA. So sexual abuse, touching a child in an in a sexual manner or having sexual relationships with the child is sex is child sexual abuse. And it includes any behavior towards the child for sexual stimulation, okay? So whether that's they playing with your toes because they get aroused or they're playing with your lips because they get aroused or they're rubbing on your shoulders or your boots, any of that is sexual abuse, okay, if it's for sexual stimulation. This type of abuse is characterized by fundling for sexual acts and independent physical exposure, I'm sorry, indecent physical exposure. Whether the abuse occurs as an isolated incident or repetitive conduct that continues for years, both types are considered sexual abuse of a child, period, okay? Predators are the child's relatives, and you were sharing that again, Ms. Kim, earlier. It's normally somebody you know, somebody who has access to a child, somebody who has 
trust of the family, okay? All right, so often the predators are the child's relatives or people closest to the family, individuals who no one would imagine would commit such deeds. Oh, he would never do that. She would never do that. Those are the people that many times do that. These behaviors in a child can signal sexual abuse, knowledge or promotion of sexual behavior premature for his or her age, sudden difficulty with toilet habits in young child. Sometimes some of these kids, you cannot potty train them. They're five, six, seven, eight years old, and they're still peeing in the bed. And I'm not saying that, and we're not saying that that's linked to sexual abuse only because I know people who, were not sexual abuse, and they were not potty trained until after they were five years old, okay? So we're not going to say that that's only, but these are things that we can look and say, hey, let's, let's take a little look closer to this, okay? So difficulty with toilet habits in a young child, pain or itching, okay, especially in those private areas, right? Bruises or bleeding in the genital area. Other symptoms are are trouble sitting or walking, okay? So they're having trouble sitting. They're like, oh, it hurts when I sit, or walking, like, oh, it hurts when I walk. Blood in his or her underwear. If you notice blood in the diaper area and the underwear, or they, you notice that the genitals are swollen, if you're changing a diaper or anything like that, pay attention to that, and sexual abuse of other children. So a lot of times when children are abusing other children, because many times, when the child's been abused, they repeat the abuse. The abuse is repeated, um, whether it's on a child or later on an adult starts to abuse his child. And I know that because my um, abuser had been abused, okay? And so I heard all these horrible stories of the type of abuse that my abuser endured, and I, I actually felt bad for my abuser. I was oh, my God, that's horrible as a parent, okay, from a parent's point of view. I was like, oh, that is horrible. Um, and so, you know, the more we're educated and the more we learn, the more we're able to understand and to identify some of these things that connect us. Like, wow, that, that's horrible. And, uh, and so we have not a tender heart for abusers in the sense that we justify the abuse, but we're educated in a way that school cannot educate you by the experience and so we're able to see as from a doctor's perspective all of us who's been abused we're able to see certain things from a point of view that many people cannot and and there's nothing wrong with that you know it's just the fact that we have experience and that lived experience make us professionals in our in our area of expertise okay and so um Sexual abuse, again, many times is acted out by children. They start kissing and making out with their cousins, making out with family members. Why? It's something that they learned. Somebody else did with them. My older cousin did with them. And they repeat it, whether it's a female cousin on a female cousin or a male cousin on a male cousin or a female and male cousin. Something happened that taught them that this behavior was appropriate, and they repeat that type of abuse. Sure thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also want to say because I know that that's um, 
you were probably reading the explanation of sexual abuse, but it really mm-hmm. isn't just content. I mean, like you said, you just exposing mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. or um, if you show a child like a Playboy magazine with the intent yeah. of, you know, you're trying to introduce them to this sexual world, um, yeah. then that's considered abusive, well, sexual abuse as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I know that you talked about that. Um, yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything that has to do with you're trying to stimulate yourself or stimulate that child in the area of sexual interest, okay, or for self-stimulation, it's a form of sexual abuse. And then there's way more. I'm sure it's not just, you know, some parents are high on drugs. And they're selling their children for sex. I mean, some of the stories we hear here on NASA's show, we're like, what? I mean, you grow and you learn, and you're like, what is wrong with what is going on? But, again, you know, some people are dealing with they've been abused, and to them, maybe this is just life. This is just how their life is, and you won't understand. You know, you go to other countries, um, and (laughs) – the other day, uh, somebody sent me a video, and uh, they were out of the out of the country, and uh, they were like, "Hey, if you want this, you can have this. You can have this done. You can have your toes sucked. You can have your finger licked. You can have anal. You can have penetration. You can have mouth. You can have licking. You can have." It was a whole menu on what the women were going to do out of the country. So some of these men, unfortunately. You know, they go on a trip out of the country, and they have access to all these services, um, men and women, I'm sure. It's not just men. But, I mean, this is just what it is. And some of these kids are teenagers or preteens doing the services. It's not just adult women or adult men doing services. Some people actually enjoy interacting with minors. Sick, which is sad and sad, but unfortunately, that's the fact, you know. And um, and that's why I'm glad that we're able to talk about it here. You know, there's many, many forms of abuse, and um, you know, too many to list. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, sometimes when we have some of our wonderful guests, they bring light to some of these things that we're like, what, what's going on? But unfortunately, there are many forms of abuse, but there's also many effects to the to these types of abuse on the children. So I'll read a little section that's just talking about the long-term effects of child abuse, uh, which is um, the lasting damage inflicted by all types of abuse. The effects of child abuse go far deeper than the physical marks left behind. The child may develop relationship issues and experience trust problems, and we see that a lot of times. Some of these uh, kids, they become abusive in their relationships. They have trust issues when they grow up in their relationships. Um, You know, they start to display some of the abuse in their relationships, Uh, adults and children, not just young teenagers or anything. This is all across the board. Feelings of being worthless or low self-esteem issues are, issues are common. 
and the child may exhibit difficulty controlling emotions. You know, these outbursts, just having chaos in their relationship. Like, you don't have to have chaos. You can change um, this cycle. You can stop the cycle. And so it's important for us to talk about it because many times people feel embarrassed to talk about it. Um, they feel that they can't talk to anyone about it. And that's one of the things that uh, we appreciate about the NASCAR show is that we're able to come on this show and talk about our truth. We have access to a platform that helps to empower us. It gives us a tool. It puts a mic in our hand. And now we're in the seat, in the driver's seat, where we're able to say, hey, this was not appropriate. This is wrong. I'm angry. I'm hurt. And um, today I'm going to tell my truth. I'm going to speak up, and I don't care who it offends. Because many times when you choose to tell your story, you're going to have some, I want to use the word defiance, but that's not the word that I'm really looking for. You're going to have this kickback. People are going to be angry. People are going to be upset. You're embarrassing the family. You're a black sheep. You're bringing your troublemaker all types of um, things that people will say to discourage you. But your healing is your healing. I want you to hear me clearly. Your healing journey is your healing journey. And whatever you need to do in order to heal, you need to do in order to heal. And if that's talking about what you went through, then so be it. Talk about what you went through. And know that here on the NASCAR show, you're not alone. You're surrounded by other survivors, other child abuse survivors who can support you through your recovery process and help you as you're telling your story because it's not an easy thing to do. I know the first time I had to share my story, it was very scary. And there are a lot of rooms that were locked up to survive. So there's things sometimes that I remember that I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot that I went through that. Oh, my God, doors continually open where I'm like, wow, I guess, you know, maybe God knew that I couldn't handle some of these things back then. It would have probably cost me not to be able to to live, to, to, to even deal with life, the levels of abuse that I had to endure. But today I'm able to go, wow, you know, I went through that. And, you know, I see it as a, a I see it in a different way, more as a survivor and being able to how and seeing how strong I am, but there are people who are now getting to a place where they're like, "Oh my God, you know those doors are opening." I know that I know people right now who are just starting to open up and share, like, "Okay, that did happen to me," and I'm so proud of them when they say that because I'm like, "Wow, you know, it, I know it's not easy to say that happens. I know it's not easy to say that happens." So when you start to be like, "Okay," That happened to me, but now I'm ready to talk about it. And in spite of the fact that you know that you're going to have to deal with the repercussion from people, but you're still willing to 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 be strong enough to stand up and talk about it, we're here for it. We're here to support you because you're not alone. We understand that that recovery is a journey, and you're going to have some some kickbacks and some people that are not going to be supportive of your story. Some people are going to be like, you're embarrassing the family. So what do you do? Keep it to yourself and then kill yourself because you're battling this feeling inside that's killing you? Or do you just surround yourself with other survivors and say, hey, 
I'm going to stick around long enough until I'm strong enough to say what happened and work on my recovery. It's a personal journey. It's a very personal journey. You can't allow other people to stop your growth. Amen. You're going to have people that are not going to be supportive of it, you know? Yeah. And um, and especially if you're in a family that you were abused in. I mean, they're not going to support you necessarily. You know, they're going to watch you out there talking about about this stuff and that. You know, and a lot of times those are things, because I have other things I could. And you just waited until they were gone. And I've said to people before, no. That's, I get, no, because this is when I felt called to start talking about it. And so, you know, I saw something on Facebook. I think it was a Facebook little, you know, mean thing. Um, that if you didn't want people to talk badly about you, then you probably should have been nicer <laughs> you know and and that definitely goes for you know children i think that if you um, you know if you can't say a whole lot of nice things about your parents then that there's probably a reason and unfortunately the parents could have made different choices like we did you know to mm-hmm. to change that trajectory that they chose not to. So it was just as enabling and abusive mm. when you mm. enable an abuser. <laughs> Let me ask you, um, where did you get your strength from to come forward? Like, you know, for other people that are probably like, because I know it was a process for me. It was very hard, and I wasn't ready to come forward. And... I ended up coming forward, but I really, I was not ready to come forward. Um, so then after I came forward, I dealt with a lot of shame. I, I dealt with a lot of guilt. I dealt with a lot of embarrassment. Um, I have family members who probably don't talk to me because of it at, at this point still. But what caused you to feel strong enough to come forward? Where did you get your strength from? Well, first of all, I had felt that God had told me like 20 years before that I would be doing this. And so I don't, I shared that before in my testimony that I knew at some day, some point I would be doing something, whether it was just speaking about it or I, I didn't know. I just knew it would have something to do with because I felt that, you know, my story needed to be heard. Now, at the moment, that I came forward and started talking about it. And the first time that I shared it on NASCA, I was actually with my childhood friend on, on NASCA. Um, and we were going to do this together. So I was actually a little bit pushed into it in the beginning as well. I felt, I don't know. I mean, it, it just everything that, that she, you know, painted as, what we were going to do with our story and, um, you know, and not a whole lot of friends usually come forward together even. Um, but then it started to get a little bit controlling 
to where I wasn't able to tell my story. And so after the first time I was on, the first time I was on NASCA, I didn't feel like I could tell everything that I wanted to say, even if I, you know, had been comfortable because I felt like I was being kind of monitored and controlled by my friend um, because we were going to do our own podcast too. So she didn't want me to say too much, and she, you know, and so I, I was very much under her control of what I can and can't say and that bothered. And that's why we didn't really start. I think we did one podcast is all we did together and um, a, a separate one. So we, besides the NASCAR one that we did together, we did a, a separate podcast one that we were going to do once a month um, as survivors, friends, and uh, and similar. I think that's where I met um, Dr. Pamela Pine. It was during that time when I was with my friend. And, um, but they, it got to the point where, like I said, I didn't feel like I was able to say what I wanted to say because it was very much narrated by my friend and what she wanted us to do. And, um, and I'd never been on a podcast before and she had, a, a, that she was already doing. And so I just tried to, you know, I tried to listen to what she had to say. And then after a while, and that would be a little bit too much. I was like, no. I can't do this anymore. So, oh, and also I found out about darkness of light towards the children. So while I was still working on that podcast with her, I found out about darkness to light and I was very adamant that I wanted to bring that curriculum as I found out I could do it myself and bring it to my community. And the difference was between her and I is she was very much um, and, you know, still is pretty much, I think, a lot, social media, a lot about social media. And so that's her calling, and that's, you know, what she does. And so she's always on social media, where I've always been out of the community, like you, you know, doing things within the community. And so that was something that I very much wanted to share with my community, and she didn't. So that was one of the other reasons why we just kind of fizzled our partnership is because, um, she wasn't willing to let me, per se, <laughs> with the, the collaboration that we were doing, um, be a part of that, and I wasn't really going for that. So so it was a little bit of both, and I think probably, and you may, I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, this is Dr. Nancy, but um, you might need to be pushed just a little bit. I mean, looking back, I'm like, at the time, did I feel like I was completely ready when my friend and I started talking, no. And I also, and I've talked about this on here as well, um, that's why I have a, a couple Facebook pages as well, is because I was told by my friend that I had to accept all friend requests and that I could not turn anybody down because we were going to be building our social media, you know, accounts and stuff. And, and I said, well, everybody I know on my Facebook page, I know personally. And I'm not willing to just open my Facebook page up to people I don't know. And so I started another one. And she didn't like that. Either. So there were just a lot of differences between us, you know, and we, we figured, I figured that out very quickly. But um, so, that yeah, I, I was pushed a little bit as well, I guess is what I was, was saying. But I also kind of felt like I might have been ready. I just didn't know to what degree I was 
already, you know, until it just all started coming together. And that's kind of how God works. <laughs> that's what he does. Yeah, but it's tough when you're getting to a place where you're ready to start sharing your story, but then you have somebody trying to limit what you're saying because it's like you're not able to really be free and be yourself in your own recovery. It's kind of like you're, I don't want to use the word narcissistic abuse, but it's like you're still dealing with a form of abuse. Because you're still under the yeah. grasp of someone else's control. And therefore, you're lacking that sense of freedom and liberty. And that's still a yeah. form of control. Still very not okay. So I I understand and I can relate. Um, but like you said, you know, at, at the point where you started to get stronger, and started to share your story. What was that one thing that said that caused you to say, "I'm ready to share my story and not worry about what other people have to say"? Because when you start sharing your story, you have some people, maybe not everybody, some people come out and they have just wonderful support. I've heard people share that, and then there's some of us that come out and we have. Um, you know, family members that are not supportive and or may even call us liars or attention seekers or black sheep of the family. I can definitely say that part because how dare you bring shame to the family? You're bringing shame to the family by bringing light to what happened to you, which makes no sense to me today. But that's right. one of the things that you're told, yeah, which makes absolutely no sense to me. I'm the sheep of the family because I'm telling that I was abused. So the abuser is not the sheep of the family, the black sheep. I'm the sheep of the family, the victim, for coming forward saying this happened to me. Um, And many families, you know, growing up, you're taught what happens in the family stays in the family. So you telling what happened in a public manner is really attention-seeking. And and you're not looking to – you know, you're not looking to uh, to help the situation. You're bringing trouble. You're being a troublemaker and you're bringing drama. And so um, that's what makes you attention-seeking because you're um, bringing it in a bigger place. But you have to understand for us, and like you said earlier, you know, God showed you years ago that you'd be working in that area to heal others who are survivors or have been through abuse. When you're called into this level of ministry, which is not a fun ministry, it's not something that you wake up and say, hey, I want to be called into sexual child abuse ministry. It's something you're just called by God. You're called to. It's not something that you choose and say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be a child abuse, sexual abuse advocate. Use me and make me be an advocate. I remember saying to God, use me as your vessel. Uh, when I became an adult, I remember I used to cry and pray and be and lay out on the floor, be laid out on the floor praying to God. And my prayer is not like how some people have a very beautiful poetic prayer, um, and they sound great. And then sometimes it can be a little intimidating. For me, I when I pray, I'm like, Lord, Father God, thank you, God, for allowing me to be your vessel, Lord. Thank you, God, for using me to make a difference in this world. Show me what I need to do. What more of me do you need for me to be more efficient 
and more of service to you and to my community. I just talk to God like I'm talking to you right now. So I don't have a I don't have the perfect words. For me, I just say sometimes my prayer may be a minute long. I may not have that endurance of a poetic, long prayer and all this, but I know, excuse me, that when I speak to God, he always sends me an angel. And it's not always somebody who's holier than thou. It could be a homeless person in the street. More holy than the holier than thou will say the right word to me. And I'll be like, wow, I just had a whole conversation with God earlier this morning. And he'll use anybody. He'll use a donkey. He'll use a homeless person. He'll use your enemy sometimes. You know, he will reply to you if you're listening and you're paying attention. And so anyways, I don't want to ramble on that, but the point what I was making was this is not a ministry that we choose. This is a ministry that, unfortunately, chooses us. This ministry is a ministry that we're here to serve other survivors, other people who have been through this, and we're trying to teach them how to survive. Unfortunately, you know, I share with a few times, I lost my sister to suicide. She was a child abuse, sexual child abuse survivor, okay, for many years. And when people go through this level of abuse, it's severe spiritual warfare. You know, you go through times that you're just like so disgusted and so hurt and so broken, and then you go through times that you're, you make it. But, um, you know, so us sharing our story and being transparent, I, I always, you know, I, I don't want to say I always love to hear survivors share their testimony from a place of, um, of strength. Like, you know, no, I'm moving forward. I went through that, but I'm not going to be stuck there. I went through that, and it's bigger than me. And understanding that their purpose is so huge on such a high level that is bigger than us. And that is where those people who are in the weak place, because I've been in the dark place. I've been in that place that I did not want to live, and I just wanted to check out. So for us to be able to be a light at the end of the tunnel and give them just a little bit of hope that they can survive and that just not special enough to be used to help somebody else survive to share this story at some point and not be ashamed because I lived with shame for so many years. I still feel like it's embarrassing. I go through stages where I still be like, I mean, you know, I don't want to be like, no, I don't go through that. You know, I'm in a perfect, no. Sometimes I'm like, dang, that is kind of embarrassing. No wonder I, and I feel sorry for the little girl. I take a moment to say, dang, that's horrible. I come to humanity and reality and say, man, that's horrible that I went through that. That's horrible that you all went through that. When I hear you telling your story, I'm looking at you as the little girl. I'm literally looking at you like, wow, that's horrible you went through that. When you talk about your mom or, you know, your family didn't support you or didn't believe you, I'm like, that is horrible. 
for that little girl because today there's a little girl just like us today right now. There's somebody in our shoes, unfortunately, somewhere in the world going through what we went through and feeling how we felt. So I really just would just hope that people will become more educated and more empathetic and and just more more just have a heart empathy and then I want I to know, say thank you, you ever, to uh, you oh. I, I'm sorry I want to say thank you oh. for to you for giving people hope well yeah thank yeah. you do a lot around this this work and um and the, the, only, the other thing that I want to say, which I know that you know, and um, a lot of people know, is that I do believe that it is my faith. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times there has to be a, a higher power. So whether it's God or mm-hmm. whatever you believe in, mm-hmm. that is how you're going to be able to get over that kind of hump of, you know, how do I have a normal life? How do you even think about having kind of a normal life? But, um, yeah. How do and, you and I was normal... also going to say one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. How do you? How do you? I was also going to say, I, I just, I can probably recognize even more now. I know that I could when my kids were in school and I was there all the time. But I was, like, over at my grandkids' school last week for field day and um, continuation and a couple things. And so um, I can look at a child and say, oh, my gosh, there is something going on in that with that family. And I remember seeing one little boy um, in the continuation, and then he was walking home as I was driving my grandkids home. And um, and I saw him again, and I just my heart just broke because I was like, I don't know him, I don't know his story, I don't know his name, I don't know anything about him. But you look at that little boy, and that little boy is so sad and dead inside. Mm-hmm. You can just feel it. You can just tell, and it's so heartbreaking when you mm-hmm. when you notice it that vividly. You know, it's heartbreaking because what do I do? What do you do? not like I really have any proof of anything other than he just looks like he is not taken care of, you know. And so that, that does equal abuse. If you're not, if, you know, if you're being neglected, that's abuse. I don't know what right. else is going on, but, you know, you can tell by the clothes they, you know, he wore and things like that. And you know that he's probably also being bullied, unfortunately, by the mean things that kids say at school. Because they don't know any different. They don't connect that there's something else going on. All they all they see is, oh, he doesn't have clothes that fit him or he doesn't smell good or, you know, and, and they won't connect that there could be actual abuse going on. And, and kids shouldn't mm-hmm. really have that knowledge to connect that, you know, but um, right. as an adult. Thank you. That. So the fact that you said that's so important, um, because imagine going through abuse at home, 
then going to school to the one place that gets you out of the house, away from the abuse, and then being abused at school. And we have to talk about this to make people think because they're not thinking. They're just like, mm, look at her, her walking with her bobos. That's what they would call sneakers that are not name brands. Mm-mm, she got bobos on. Girl, you this, oh. you that, you ugly, you this. You are already going through right. hell at home trying to survive. And that's why some of these kids take their lives. The suicide rate is, is outrageously out of control. If you can't have the mind anywhere, let's let's be a community. Let's look for these signs so that we can help save lives. If that's really truly what we're after, then that's what we truly need to focus on, saving lives. And we cannot do that if we're judging and being mean girls or mean guys. I'm glad you said that because that's so true. People are going to school smelling. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're sleeping in the car. One girl told me she was she was in college. I used to do her hair years ago. She told me she was homeless. Mm-hmm. She slept in her car, school every day, and she graduated. Yeah. And just imagine probably the obstacles. I mean, you just can't even can't even probably imagine the obstacles that she had to overcome to be able to graduate from college. I mean, wow. Um, and and another thing I just want to say real quick, because I know we're getting ready. We're we're winding down now, but, um, we were talking, we were talking about, yeah, we didn't even cut off early tonight. Um, because we had touched by a horse on the other night, day night last week. And, um, and I went over to my daughter's house today for a barbecue and, um, and so I went out and, and talked, you know, and spent a little bit of time with the horses, all of all the kids and everybody went out there. But my um, five-year-old grandson has, there, I know that there's trauma and because I know how the trauma works in a child and I know that he was yelled at by my daughter's um, house renter he was renting a, a, a room out of the basement and he got up in the middle of the night and was yelling at Connor to stop crying in the middle of the night and my, my daughter and her husband found him and then kicked him out like you don't come up and yell at a baby like that but I'm sure that that probably traumatized him he's very very passive and very quiet and reserved and then he's also had to have two eye surgeries and so you know, I also can can relate to, you know, feeling different and and stuff. And so when we went out to the horses today, and I, I'd love to talk to um, Michelle. Who was Michelle? Is that her name? I, I've got it written down. Um, <laughs> I'd like to see what she said because the, her oldest horse um, was sitting there and letting us pet him. And then all of a sudden he, and my grandson was right there beside me, and he kind of took a step back, and then he started nodding his head up and down. And I was like, what is he doing? What is he trying to say? So anyway, I just wanted to throw that because I was like, 
so fascinated now since we had her on the show that that they can relate so closely to your feelings. And I was trying, I was like, what is he saying? What is he trying to read about my grandson here? And right. oh, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Wow. And they're able to communicate and connect. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by those horses too. And, um, I think that's wonderful therapy, you know, therapy, pet therapy really does work. Animal therapy really does work. And I hope, what's the name of the, um, Benny again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We hope that Melissa, yeah. I know we're ready to get off, but anyone who is dealing with anxiety, depression, or just ready to work in their healing and looking for animal therapy, horse therapy, actually, um, definitely check out Touch by Horse. We had them on the other night, and they had so much great information. We're really looking forward to um, – I'm, I'm looking forward to checking them out myself. But um, thank you all for listening tonight. We had a wonderful show, very resourceful, a lot of information, and we just hope that everyone um, was able to get a lot out of tonight's show. And we hope to see you guys on NASCA. Stop Child Abuse Now show next time. Thank you. Good night. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.